0: So tonight we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 in verses 12 through 17. Colossians 3 verse 12 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. Above all these things put on charity, which is a bond of perfectness. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body. Be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. Whatsoever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. So the title tonight is maintaining maintaining a thankful heart. Last week we looked at in everything give thanks. Tonight we're going to be looking at maintaining a thankful heart. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. We do thank you again for the opportunity we have to assemble together, and to worship you, sing praises under Thy name. And we pray as we look into the Word of God that we be encouraged, and strengthened in our walk with you, and uh, helped for Your glory and for Your honor, and help us to consider uh your word this evening, realizing we we're gonna give them we ought to give more earnest heed to the things that we, we hear and see and and understand from the scriptures. So Father we just thank you again for your love and mercy to us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we mentioned last week, you know, to be thankful is expressing gratitude, appreciation. It's a result of right thinking or understanding and I believe the stem, the, the, the root of it is a right understanding or thinking of the sinfulness of man and God's mercy to us. Uh, we are, uh, as we looked at last week, commanded in everything gives thanks for this is the will of God. This is what you know, we could say that's his pleasure. That's what pleases God. Uh, that's his will. So we are commanded. And uh, so we ought to be thankful, mindful of the favors of God, grateful to him. And so on. So, as we think about maintaining a thankful heart, I have five things here. I want you to notice. First of all, we need to think on the goodness of God. Verse twelve says, "Putting on, put on therefore as the elect of God. So we are chosen of God. We are His people, holy and beloved. Bows of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long suffering." This is something we ought to choose. These are things we ought to choose to put on. And, and you know, thankfulness is a, is a fruit of right thinking. And, and of course, he concludes this passage that, that we are to do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to the God and the Father by Him. So, you know, many are not thankful because they lack or refuse to accept the truth about God and themselves. They refuse to accept the holiness of God, the sinfulness of man. You know, only, only when you realize the holiness of God and your sinfulness can you really grasp the love of God. Did you ever hear somebody say this, quote, that's a face only a mother could love, unquote? Well, that's what we sinners are before God. We're, we're a face only God could love. The Bible says God can't even look upon a sin. And we are sinners by nature and sinners by choice. And God is holy without blemish. There's no variableness nor shade of turning in him. Yet he loves us. He loves us. You know, if we would just think on that for a while daily, we ought to think on it daily. Uh you know, and again, to understand the holiness of God, you must be willing to accept the wickedness. We must be willing to accept the wickedness of our own hearts. And then we can understand how good God really is. How great his mercy really is. You know, the, word, the word mercy has the idea of God withholding from us what we deserve. And what we all deserve in the mind of God, or in the, according to the character God is, eternity in the lake of fire. That's what we all deserve. But God is a merciful God. That's what Jeremiah said in Lamentations 3, 21 to 23. This I recall to my mind, therefore have I hope. It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed. Because his compassions fail not, they are new every morning, great is thy faithfulness. It was only of the mercy of God that he had completely destroyed Israel. Only of his mercy. Him withholding what they really deserve. And so... You know, the, that destruction and the devastation, you know, they're being carried away and, and Jerusalem being plundered uh, during the seven years' captivity and all that. And, of course, we're hearing in Sunday school about how they're go, trying to go back and rebuild that devastation. The temple was completely destroyed. The walls of the cities were burned, as we're going to see in Nehemiah. And But this was the fruit of, of their choices. You know, God is faithful also in judgment. But... God in His mercy did not completely destroy them. And God is still merciful and God is still worth living for. John 3.16, for God to love the world. You know, the only reason God doesn't judge the world right now is because God loves the world. He loves mankind. He loves mankind. He's still giving man opportunity. You know, I think I've shared this quite a few times. There was a guy. Uh, Russell Noyes was his name in, in in Lee, Maine, and he was an old man up in his eighties, and we'd go visit him and, and he would he he would say, said many times, I don't even know why I'm still here. I said, Russell, I do. Because you're not ready to meet God. It's out of the Lord's mercy that you're still here. The psalmist said in Psalm eighty four, eleven, For the Lord God is a sun and shield, and the Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will he withhold from them that walk uprightly. Psalm 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Do you know we have a lot of benefits because we know the Lord? A lot of benefits. Who forgiveth all thine iniquities... My sins are forgiven. If you know Christ your Savior, your sins are forgiven. They're not held against you anymore. They're under the blood of Jesus Christ, who healeth all thy diseases, who redeemeth thy life from destruction. We were on the path of destruction. That's the way the world is. And who crowneth thee with loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things, so that thy youth is renewed like eagles. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. He makes his ways known to us through his word. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and plenteous in mercy. He will not always chide. You know, does the Lord get angry with his people? Sometimes he does. You start, go through the Old Testament, look up the word anger, and see how many times God was angry with his people. Yet he did not destroy them. Some of them he, he killed. That's the sin on death. We're going to talk about that a little bit on Sunday morning. Some of them he, he took their life, their earthly life. But he did not destroy the nation of you? Israel. Uh, you know, he hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. So we need to remember and think on the goodness of God. We have a God that's good. That's good. You know, a God that we can draw near to. A God that can be personable. You know, we have read that one of the things about Islam is Allah's not personable. He's not personable. He's not approachable. According to the writings. But our God is. Second thing we need to be to maintain a thankful heart is honor the Lord with your life. Notice verse 15. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which all shall you are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the peace of God rule. Let rule. So let rule really means to be umpire. You need to let God be the umpire. You know, the umpire, when Daniel was playing ball, called the ball some strikes. Now, there were times that people didn't agree with what he called. But that didn't matter. That didn't matter. He was the umpire. I didn't see any, I wasn't, you you know, I wasn't to all the games, but any of the games I was at, there was no game in any of the games I was at that the umpire called a, uh, a, a ball, a pitch, a ball, and it got overturned. Somebody complained about it and he changed his mind. It didn't happen. You can complain to God all you want, but it isn't going to change his mind. You know, we let him be the umpire. Let him decide. Let him determine to direct, to control, to rule. That's what, that's what that word let rule means. Decide or settle. You know, if we're going to be thankful, we must let the Lord rule. Let the Lord rule. Uh, we must honor Him, submit to Him, give deference to, yield to Him. 1 Peter 3.10 says, For he that will love life and see good days, let him retain, refrain his tongue from evil, and his lips they speak no guile. Let him eschew evil and do good. Let him seek peace and ensue it. So we have to seek the peace of God. We're to let the peace of God rule. Be the rule in our hearts. And and he's he's got to be the umpire. He's got to be the decider. Your people will influence you for good, or they can influence you for evil. But you know, they, people will influence you for good, and you need to be thankful for that. But we ought to not to stop there, because we need to continue our growth and allow the word of God to rule in our lives. Third thing we see here is we have to appropriate the victory that God has given us. If you notice in verse 15, Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. You're called to one body. He, he, he tells them, you know, this church at Colossae, you're called to one body. To function together as one body. Of course, that word body refers to the church. You're called to a church to learn the truth from the church, the pillar and ground of the truth. You know, so we, we learn, it's in the church, we, in, the, in his body, we learn to apply scriptures to real life. To grow in our understanding of him. To walk in obedience to Him. And so, so we're, you know, we need to practice what belongs to us as we learn it in the church. To practice the victory that is ours, was declared in the Word of God, that is ours through Christ Jesus. To rest in that. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We we need to rest in the fact that we are justified if we have been saved by the blood of Christ, we are justified, declared righteous by God. We need to rest in that. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. We need to, we need to understand that we're not we're no longer condemned by God. Cuz we're under the blood of Christ. Now, what, do, what will that do for your life? It will encourage you. It will lift you up. It will make you realize, look, God accepts me. I'm accepted by God. I'm declared righteous in God's sight. I'm a child of God. It will give you boldness in the face of the world. So we need to we need to we need to practice or understand and practice what belongs to us. You know, fellowship in the church, members one another, opportunity for growth of holiness, of witness, to be a light to the world. All these things are are taught and we're instructed in the body, and we're called into that body. You know, to exercise the power of God. Ephesians, chapter one, and uh, verses eighteen and nineteen. Ephesians 1, 18, 19 says that the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints, what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe, according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ, when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in heavenly places. See, your power of God is available to us when you believe what he says. You take him at his word. If you turn away from his word, it's to deny yourself of that power. You know, he gives you your power to understand authority and you know to be a to be a child of God and 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 to have uh, power over the world, the flesh, the devil, temptation to sin. Uh, you know, to do what is right and pleasing thy sight. You know, the children of Israel failed to appropriate or act on the promise of God to turn back. Why? Because they did not believe. Therefore, they lacked power. The power was in trusting God. Trusting God. Not that, it's not by might. That word might has the idea of strength. Physical strength. It's not by power, not by the world's, you know, mechanisms of world leaders or world powers. It's not by that, but by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Zechariah four six tells us. So, you know, the, again, the children of Israel failed to appropriate or act upon the promise of God and turn back. They forgot, is what the psalmist said in Psalm seventy eight, and and verses uh, six through eight. Psalm 78, in verses 6 through 8, it says, "...that the generation to come might know them, either the children which should be born, who should arise and declare them their children, that they might set their hope in God, and not forget the works of God, but keep His commandments, and might not be as their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that set not their heart aright, and whose spirit was not steadfast with God. You see, that former generation, he says, didn't set their heart to keep the commandments of God. To believe the commands of God. They did not set their heart aright. And their spirit was not steadfast with God. God wasn't their umpire. Umpire. They got to looking at the nations in the land and how great they were and how many they were and there was more of them than there was of them there's more of them than us was the idea and they become fearful and their city they had cities they had fortresses and they had we have nothing we don't have any defenses we're the attackers how are we going to do this god god can bring the walls of jericho down Do you know what else God did? I never thought about this before, but it just came to mind. Do you know God brought those nations out of their cities and after Israel? Think about it. After they conquered Jericho and conquered Ai, and the Gibeonites made league with them, all the nations got together to fight with Israel, and they came out of their cities after them. Guess what they did? They left their defenses. Their major defenses they left. All their walled cities. In my mind, that wasn't a smart move. But that's what they did. You know, when we we fail to trust God, we don't do things that are wise. And that's what Israel... That's what, and basically, that's what Israel did. They they failed to trust God. Therefore, they didn't they didn't use wisdom in applying God's word to their life, and they failed in properly conquering the nations. And some of them turned back, and were destroyed to destroyer. I have here Psalm ninety five, also Psalm ninety five, verses eight through eleven. It says, harden not your heart as in the in the provocation, and as in the day of the temptation in the wilderness, when your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works. Forty years long was I grieved this generation, and said, It is a people that do err in the heart, and they have not known my ways, unto whom I swear in my wrath, they should not enter into my rest. And of course, Hebrews three, fourteen through four. Chapter four talks about that very thing as well. Uses that as an illustration. So they failed to appropriate. You know, we need, if we're going to be thankful people, we have to appropriate the victory to, that God has given us. Think on that. Think on that. Fourthly, you need to nurture your relationship with God. Verse sixteen. Let me get back there. Says, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. So, teaching and admonishing one another, we need to let the word of Christ dwell in our hearts with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing, to nurture. Uh, the word nurture here, it's not, the teaching and admonishing has the idea of nurturing, and to nurture means to do things that promote growth. And of course, the greatest thing we can do to promote growth in our own Christian life is to assemble together. There's two things, I think, we, that are vital for Christian growth. Assembly of the saints and time in the word yourself. Now, if you're assembling in a sound church, you're going to be challenged to spend time in the Word of God. Hebrews 10, 23 to 25 says, Let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful faithless promise. Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. And, of course, Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So, so we need to nurture that relation, our relationship with God by the assembling together to listen to the word, to give heed to it. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice. They hear my voice. Now, that wasn't just, it goes in here. Has the idea of hearing and doing. Listen to heed. It has the idea of listening to heed the word of God. Peter wrote that we ought to give the more earnest heed to the more sure word of prophecy, where you do well to take heed. See, if you take heed to the word of God, it's well. It's going to be well for you. You James, or not James, Joshua 1.8, where it says we're to meditate day and night in the Word of God so that we might uh, have good success. James one twenty two, be ye doers of the Word, not hearers only. Has the idea, again, of listening to heed. Not just hearers, but doers. Matthew 7.24, he that heareth and doeth is a wise man. That's, that's the wise man that builds his house upon a rock. He heard and he doeth. He's like that wise man that builds his house upon a rock. And, and so, uh, you know, the, the uh, psalm said in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 1, Hear ye, children, the destruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. My son, attend to my words, incline thine ears unto my sayings. Chapter 5, verse 1, my son, attend unto my wisdom, and bow thine ear to my understanding. Hearken unto me, therefore... Proverbs 7.24 Hearken unto me thou therefore O ye children attend to the words of my mouth see we need to be nurturing your relationship with the Lord to be a top the top priority in our life God is the fountain of wisdom he's the source of wisdom your education can help us gain wisdom but education is not the same as wisdom Education can give people knowledge. It's a tool to gain knowledge. But you know, there's educated people that don't believe in God. Is that wise? No, that's very foolish. I remember Alan Dickerson, Pastor Alan Dickerson, saying one time that, to, to, to as an illustration, to prove that education and wisdom are not the same and that you can be, wise, be smart, be educated, and very foolish. He said the the, some of the highest, studies have shown that some of the highest people that use smoking and, and do addictive things are like NASA scientists. Smart people. You would think they would do stuff like that, destroy their bodies. Yeah, they do. See, education doesn't make a person wise. Education has to do with gaining knowledge, wisdom has to do with using that knowledge in your life for your good. It's a practical outworking of knowledge. And so, the, uh, wisdom comes from God. Wisdom is the application of our understanding or knowledge of God. If we're there to be growth in the Lord, there must be application of it. must be application of it. So, we need to nurture our relationship with the Lord. And, of course, that comes through teaching and preaching. Teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And then we see also one final thing. We have to keep our focus on the words of God. Verse 15. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now, the words let dwell means dwell in one and influence for good. Dwell in one with the idea of to influence for good. So we have to keep our focus on the words of the living God. And, and, you know, these are choices that we can experience that are imparted to us through the ear, you know, so we need to be careful where our focus is. What do we read and listen to most? What you read and listen to most will affect what you think about most. Again, Joshua 1 8 says. Thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein, for then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Couldn't he have just read it one time and been okay? No. Because we forget. If we're not reminded over and over again, we're not going to continue doing it. Because we are prone to wonder. We are prone to sin. We still have that sin nature. And the reason David fell into sin was he wasn't where he was supposed to be. That was a main factor there. At the time of kings go forth to battle, David tarried at Jerusalem. He was loafing. Psalm one Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor... Standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and his law doth he meditate day and night. He should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. And then 1 Timothy four fifteen, Paul told Timothy, meditate thyself wholly on these things. You need to meditate, Timothy, on the things of God. Meditate. You know, if we're going to have the word of Christ dwell on us richly in all wisdom, we have to continually, continually read, listen to, read, listen to, think about. Because what you read and what you listen to is going to affect what you think of. Again, faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. So if you want your faith to grow, if you want your understanding of God to grow, there's only one way it's through the Word of God. Hearing, reading, the Word of God. You know, Satan tempts us through the eye. Eve saw, Achan saw, David saw, Manasseh saw, all these people saw. And the thinking was already off or skewed by something that had gotten their attention prior. And they were led astray. You know, this is why, and you know, the eye gate, the eye gate is the biggest problem we have. This is why TV media is so effective in deception and destruction in our society, because they, not only, they can not only feed your hearing, but they also feed your eye gate. And, of course, they tell us that if you can see it and hear it, it it increases your memory of it three times. Two or three times. And, you know, what they saw, what Eve saw, what Achan saw, what David saw, what Manasseh saw, deceived them into thinking that that was something that they could have, or something, or God was withholding something from them. Which he was not. You know, Nathan the prophet came to David and said, if you'd have wanted this and this and this, you know, God said, he would give it to you. But you took another man's wife, and then had her husband murdered. So, so we need to keep our focus... On the word of God. Look at Matthew. You know, and we can get caught up. It's easy to get caught up. And I say easy, because it is. It's, it's, the world is very deceptive. And it's very easy to get caught up with things of the world. But Matthew chapter 6. You know, and this is about focus. It says, the light of the body, verse 22. The light of the body is the eye. And, if thy, and therefore, thine eye be single, thy whole body shall be full of light. Thine I be evil, thy whole body shall be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in thee be darkness, how great is that darkness. If you are constantly viewing and listening to things that are dark, you're going to think dark. Let me say it another way. If you're looking at things and listening to things that are sinful, you're going to think sinful. And then you're going to start doing it. That's the way it works. We are, we do what our thinking processes Sin starts with a thought. And then it becomes an action. So and he says, No man, verse twenty four, can serve two masters, for either will he hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. Therefore I say unto you, take no thought for your life what you shall eat, or what you shall drink, or what nor yet for the body what you shall put on, it is not the life more than meat and the body than the raiment. Behold, the fowls of the air, for they sow not, neither do they reap, nor gather in barns, yet your heavenly Father feedeth them. Are ye not much better than they? Which of you, by taking thought, can I add one cubit unto his stature? And why take ye thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow, they toil not, neither do they spin. Yet I say unto you, that even Solomon all his glory was not arrayed like unto one of these. Wherefore, if God so clothe the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is cast in the oven, shall he not much more clothe ye, O ye, of little faith? Therefore, take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or wherewithal we shall be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek, who your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself, sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. See, so often we're worried about tomorrow. God says, you need to take care of today. I'm in tomorrow. I'm in tomorrow. You're in today. If we continually worry about tomorrow, we're not going to do right today. We'll be consumed. And this is what he's talking about here. You know, I don't know, maybe the disciples are getting worried, you know. Hmm. None of us have fished for a while. I don't know how much money we have, and you know they're traveling about with the Lord Jesus, following the Lord Jesus. And he said, "Foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, and the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head." We know they had a bag that Judas was the treasure, so they had some money, you know, and people would provide for them. But maybe the disciples thinking, you know, you know, Peter may have said to John, you know, John, we haven't worked, we haven't earned any money, working a job in the whole last month. Are we going to have enough money to eat this coming month? Are we going to have enough to buy, you know, I need a new pair of sandals. Am I going to have enough to buy a new pair of sandals or shoes? I don't know if they were worried about that or not. But for some reason, the Lord says, look, you need to worry about today and let God worry about the problems that are coming tomorrow. Don't worry about if God provides, if we are faithful to do. Now, I'm not saying, well, that means I can sit at home and not work and earn money to get a paycheck at the end of the week to provide. No, that's how God says we're supposed to. that's, That's part of being faithful to do what the Lord commanded us to do, to work so we have money to eat. But we're not to be consumed with the needs of this world like the world is. And get our focus off the Lord. You know often we, we this starts sometimes when we want to be like everyone else. Peer pressure. We can go embarrassed and then resentful. Proverbs fourteen twelve says, There is a way that seemeth right unto to a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You know, unthankful is always associated with in the Bible. Apostasy and unbelief. Look at Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. <clears throat> and it was with the children of Israel in the Old Testament. Romans 1, 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were what? Thankful but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish hearts was darkened. 2 Timothy 3.2 2 2 Timothy 3.2 This know also the last days perilous times shall come. Men shall be lovers of their own selves. Covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. Does that describe our day? They're lovers of themselves. You know, I saw uh, a Google heading the other day, yes, uh, two days ago, I guess it was, of this young lady who said, and she used a few choice words, which I cannot say, but she said, so much with working, I'm too pretty to work, to waste my time, spend all my life working 40 hours a week. As lovers of self. Of course, you know, some people agreed with her. Modern world. And some people chastised her for being a selfish little brat. They didn't use those exact words, but selfish and need to be humbled. You know, but she's just too pretty to work. That's what she said. You know, then it says they're unthankful. They're unthankful. In Deuteronomy 28.45... Through 47, the Bible says this, Moreover, all these curses shall come upon thee and shall pursue thee and overtake thee, till thou be destroyed. Because thou hearkenest not unto the voice of the Lord thy God to keep his commandments and his statutes which he commanded thee, and they shall be upon thee for a sign and for a wonder and upon thy seed forever. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart for abundance of all things. Do you know what started Israel's downward progression? The worship of their God became a burden. And they looked at all the nations around them, and they wanted to be like them. And the worship of God became a burden. No longer joy. And then it went downhill from there. And downhill from there. And then they started corrupting the the temple and you know doing all kinds of things until and they refused to listen to his prophets, and finally there was no remedy but seventy years captivity. What happened? They ceased to be thankful, to rejoice in what God had given them. They cease to keep their focus on God. If we don't keep our focus on the words of God, the word of God, we'll go down that road too. See, if we're going to have a thankful heart, it's going to require that we do some maintenance. every, Every vehicle... Even a Chevy Suburban needs maintenance once in a while. Mine needs maintenance right now. I keep I buy a quart of power steering fluid probably every eight days. Anyone needs a little maintenance. I need to take it in the garage and get it fixed. Our Christian life requires maintenance. If we're going to have a thankful heart. It's going to require maintenance because it does not come natural. It doesn't come natural. It comes when we think on the goodness of our Lord and meditate in his word and his promises to us and keep our focus set on him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the time of your word tonight. We thank you for the challenge it gives to us. And Lord, we pray you should help us to be grateful for what you have given to us, for what we have in our Lord Jesus Christ. And help us to rejoice in him and to be satisfied therein. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen.